0: This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System or visit us at nbasoundsystem.com for more. Now to the host for this edition of NBA Sound System Live, Carlin Gay and Micah Adams. All the hard
1: work's done for me, Micah. I don't even have to introduce us anymore on these shows. It is NBA Sound System, L-I-V-E Live. As the big voice said, I am Carlin Gay. He is Micah Adams. On this episode, we will talk about what everyone is talking about right now, and that is The Last Dance. Uh, Episodes five and six dropped worldwide. Uh, We'll dive into that, some takeaways from that. Micah had some hot takes leading into episode five and six. They weren't that hot. They
0: weren't that hot. hot.
1: I'm wondering if you're going to walk some back, uh, <laughs> and and we'll give you a little sneak preview of what might happen or what you will see rather uh, in episode seven uh, and eight coming up next week. Um, so let's start with episode five and six, Micah. I, you you watched them with the rest of the world. Uh, you were live tweeting throughout the throughout the two broadcasts. Did you learn anything new from episode five and six that you did not
0: already know about Michael Jordan and the Bulls? I don't. I don't know if there was anything I, I hadn't heard or didn't already know. It, it's obviously uh, one thing to just relive and and hear. I don't I don't know if I've ever heard Michael Jordan himself uh, talk about some of the some of the gambling stuff or some of the the controversy around Republicans buying sneakers or or all of that. But there there was uh, kind of one quote in particular uh, that I wrote down that that really stuck out to me. That I think look. I am probably just as annoyed as you are by every single time Michael Jordan does anything or LeBron James does anything, immediately people pit them against each other uh, and completely go out of their way uh, to do that. That being said, he had a quote uh, that was, If I had a chance to do it all over again, I would never want to be considered a role model. It's like a game that's stacked against me. There's no way I can win, end quote. That's pretty. That's a pretty candid, powerful statement uh, out of Jordan's mouth.
1: Yeah, 100%. That is a huge statement. And it, it kind of, for the first time in my life, made me feel like this guy's human. It really humanized him in a way that I don't think had ever been done before. I mean, he's obviously had, uh, I guess, documentaries come out on him or, or even just, you know, Career highlight, like hour-long career highlights of of his, you know, of his bat time on the basketball court. We've seen him. We feel like, I mean, he's been around my entire life. I've seen him on commercials or in TV and watching basketball. I, I feel like Jordan's been a part of my life uh, the, since I was born. But I've never seen him quite like this. So you're right. That quote kind of does stick out uh, from the episodes. Um, I, I think the the one thing I don't, I didn't learn anything from episodes five and six. But the one thing that I I kind of was reminded of was, man, Charles Barkley was a bad man. Like, I mean, char- yeah. like Charles Barkley, for people that didn't see him, we'll just look at him as a guy on TNT that says crazy stuff and throws it to the wall, and he's, you know, uh, entertaining in in that form. But, I mean, on the basketball court, he was nothing to play around with.
0: I don't want to ever hear Draymond Green talk ever again about how he's just as good as Charles Barkley. <laughs> ever again I, I, I it was it was not just dream on it, green though but there's a lot of watch, players
1: there's a lot of players that hold the charles barkley never won a ring over his head who cares i mean the guy was clearly one of the best players uh of of you know a better part of two decades
0: yeah and one of the, so he he had another quote he's he said during it was either during i think it was during one of the games it might have been after after the, the entire series was over but in 93 when they lose in the finals says, quote, I truly believed for the first time in my life that somebody was better than me. He's, of course, talking about Michael Jordan. Charles Barkley was incredible in that finals, and it got me to thinking, you know, because I think we've talked a bit bit about uh, how Barkley has this reputation as being a guy that always elevated his game in the playoffs. And I don't think people quite give Barkley the credit he deserves because of the whole never want to ring thing so if you look at the best individual playoff series that anybody ever had against Jordan and the Bulls during those six title years the first one if and this is going by game score so it's throwing every stat into the into the mixer and and spitting it back out number one is Charles Barkley in the 91 conference finals when he's with the Sixers Averages 26, 10, and 5, shooting 65% from the field. Number two is Barkley in the 93 finals, averaging 27, 13, and 6. So the two best individual tests that Jordan ever got during those those two three-peats were from the same guy, Charles Barkley.
1: Yeah, he, he was terrific in that uh, in that final series uh, against Mike. It went six games. Of course, he's coming off the great MVP season. Shows up to the finals, averages 27, 13 five assists, a steal and close to steal and a half and you know shot 48% from the field and really kind of felt like at times I and I went back and watched a couple of those games this week it kind of felt at times like he was doing it on his own. I know Richard Dumas had, you know, a, a couple nice moments throughout the series. Dan Marley didn't show up like he was expected to. Tom Chambers, same thing. And Kevin Johnson, we talked about him last week, which we're going to talk about him again in a second, just didn't show up uh, to his standard, Kevin Johnson's standard, that is. So it was really Barkley kind of pulling this team along and to to push them to game six, which came down to the final shot. Like if they – if John Paxson doesn't hit that shot – yeah. It, it's a it's a series like we're talking about game seven for all the stakes online, Two of the best players in the league at that time going head-to-head which would have been incredible But we know that John's Black packs and knocks it down. So for Barkley to even get his team
0: to that point is incredible Well in like you the, the play itself is kind of it's something that you'd see in 2020, right? Where it, it gets kicked out to the perimeter instead of I think it's horse Grant shooting a layup, Which you just you didn't see that in 1993 the other thing that I think is important about MJ i think i wish they would have gotten into a little bit more and i know jordan kind of talked a little bit about how you know he wishes he would have gotten the mvp in 93 but like he wasn't disrespected in the same way that he was talking about going up against clyde drexler and one of the things that i love about charles barkley is you know we talk about barkley being awesome against jordan he brought out a different he brought out the best possible version of Michael Jordan, so this is you know we I just read off those stats about what Barkley did against MJ, and the 16 times that he that they played against each other. Here's what MJ did against Barkley: 39 points, eight boards, seven dimes, two and a half steals, and over a block. Michael Jordan was better against Charles Barkley than he ever was against Magic, against Karl Malone, against Clyde Drexler. Even Larry Bird, who he had that sixty-three point game against, so I think, you know, it's we we can look. There's kind of two ways to look at it. You can either look at it and say, "Oh man, MJ just killed Barkley," whereas I look at it and I say Barkley brought the best version of MJ possible out of him because MJ had to be that good in order to get by Chuck.
1: Yeah. uh, So that was an interesting part of um episodes five and six that i was reminded how good charles barkley was and i was also reminded about how important we talked about it a little bit on friday's live episode about how important the dream team was just to the growth of basketball globally and uh you know basketball is obviously uh, you know a a big sport worldwide it's not soccer but it, it was a big sport worldwide but having michael jordan tour with a bunch of stars like he did in 92 uh and, and really for the first time at, at, on that olympic stage at, at that level of his career rather i mean i know he played the olympic games but he wasn't michael jordan yet he was just mike right he was he wasn't michael jordan uh and now he is you know the most recognizable athlete touring around and how important that dream team was and barkley was a leading scorer on that dream team like barkley is 18 points per game on that dream team in on, on, a team that features, you know, Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, you know, Drexler, Ewing, all name it, who's who is there? Obviously not Isaiah Thomas, but Barkley was the leading scorer I'm by far. Say not on quite that quite a who's who. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's the leading scorer by far on that team. Just goes to show how talented he truly was. Uh, let's get into Barkley on and, and the dream team because heading into the weekend, you, my friend, yeah, baby, said that three guys should not have made the dream team. Christian Leitner, Scotty Pippen, John Stockton,
0: and last but not least, Larry. Okay, Bird. The, the last one was, was in Jet. The last one was in Jess. Don't do that. Well, you, okay, you I, I, I mean, the Larry Bird one, I'm not going I'm not to not t- take it. myself. The, the Larry Bird one, I'm going to walk back. I got, got a little bit caught up in the moment, and revisionist history, you know what? Like, John Stockton had to be there too. I'm not going to. The guy had just. Average 14 assists a game twice in a row at four times. He's by far the best passing point guard in the league. He's got to be there. So I love Kevin Johnson, but nah, get him out of here. Uh, another guy, though, I still think should get him out of here. I, I, still, I stand by that Scottie Pippen should not have been on the dream team. I just, I just don't think he had done enough to, to get there yet without rehashing and going all, you know, th- if you have not yet been named one of the 15 best guys in the NBA, I'm sorry. You don't deserve one of the 11 NBA spots. And I'm I'm not even going to address the fact that you think uh, they made the right decision by taking Christian Leitner over Shaq. We don't need to go down that path again. But I'm sticking by. Scottie Pippen shouldn't have been there. It should have been Isaiah or, or James Worthy.
1: James Worthy is a tough one, though. Especially and and, and remember, the, the, I was wrong in saying that Scotty had the two rings by the time we chosen you. You rightfully correcting me in saying that this was this team was chosen before Scotty had won his second championship. But the committee just watched Scottie Pippen lock down James Worthy in those finals, and Magic Johnson for that matter.
0: Yeah, but coming off that yeah, summer where they win their out- first title. Yeah, but if we're giving out career achievement awards to a thirty-five year old Larry Bird who's about to be retired in three weeks, and Magic Johnson, who didn't play the year before, we can also give a career achievement award to James Worthy over twenty six year old Pippen, who had yet to really put his stamp his name and his legacy together. History shows otherwise, be right, because we know the player that Scottie Pippen would go on to become. But in the fall of nineteen ninety one, Scottie Pippen is not yet Scotty Pippen. That's all I was saying. Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. And I actually, I'm actually going to j- jump on that bandwagon and agree with you. I don't know if it's James Worthy, though. I, I probably would have replaced him with Isaiah, have, have another guard, doesn't matter. Um, but you're right. I think Scotty, uh, I don't want to say least deserving, but he has his accolades aren't as great as even Chris Mullen at that time. Like, Chris Mullen was nice at that time. And my initial reaction was, why don't you remove Chris Mullen? But you go back and look at it, Chris Mullen was, you know, an all star. He was, you know, face of the league. He, he, was, he was everything at that time.
0: First team All NBA in the in the uh, the 91-92 season, leading into that this, the Barcelona Olympics.
1: Yeah, so yeah, he he was a bad boy. Uh, so you you you're not walking back the Scotty, but you're walking back the Larry Bird and John
0: Stockton. Hundred percent. Huh? I would say a hundred percent Larry Bird. But I was I wasn't both feet in on Larry Bird either. That was like a taking the tap. I just. I had the door creaked open. I was peeking in. I wasn't like going both feet in, uh, so I'm half walking that back because I was there's nothing fully to walk back. And then yeah, 100% walking back. John Stockton, he had to be there. Uh, yeah, 100%. I still he, love Kevin, Kevin Johnson. Actually,
1: Ke- I love Kevin Johnson as well. But you were right. If he had, if Kevin Johnson had made that team, we would look at him completely different than the way we look at him now. Um, yeah. And he you know deserves to be mentioned when you're talking about late 80s, early 90s. Uh, also, in episodes five and six, we got a chance to finally see how heated the rivalry between Michael and the Knicks, New York Knicks, Pat Riley's Knicks at the beginning of the 90s were. Um, I don't know if we can call it a rivalry, though. Like Joel Embiid said it best How is it a rivalry when you keep losing to the same team uh, in the playoffs? Wasn't much of a rivalry. It was one sided. It was, you know, Jordan continuously beating up on the Knicks. But as the closest the Knicks got to beating the Jordan version of the Bulls came in 1993, they're up 2 0. Uh and then Jordan gets the motivation that he needs and, and and goes on to win four straight and heads to his third straight
0: finals. You know what I, you know what I think was was really interesting about the way that The Last Dance portrayed uh what happened in that series. They just they make it seem like Michael Jordan comes back pissed off down 2-0 and just like lights the Knicks on fire. Michael Jordan sucked in game 3. He shot 3 of 18 from the field and the knicks still lost by 20. like if you're a good team ready to rip ready to just rip it from the bulls and you get a 3 for 18 game out of jordan up 2-0 and you still lose by 20 like get out of here get out of (laughs) here i i wish you know look jordan's awesome in game four he drops 54 he's the greatest player ever but like they they really did casually just gloss over the fact that jordan was abysmal uh, in that game three and like look it's not like they came close to losing but i mean that let's we can't we can't just give him a free pass there either he he kind of got saved a little bit the other thing they glossed
1: over is how physical those new york Knicks teams were like they made it clear uh when they were talking about the bad boy pistons how nasty it was how nasty of a series it was well those knicks games and knicks series wasn't a, necessarily a walk in the park like i feel like the knicks early 90s knicks uh, really get a pass for how physical and how nasty they tried to make the games uh, you know, when they were going up against Matt, Michael, when they were going up against Reggie. Uh, we, we obviously know in the late 90s that the fist fights they would get into with the Miami Heat, no series, but I feel like they got a pass for how nasty they were because... Everyone hated the Pistons. And maybe, maybe it's because the Pistons won that way and the Knicks never were able to uh, climb the top of the mountain that way. But they really did get a pass for how much they beat up their opponents.
0: Well, let's. I th- I think sometimes people have a tendency, especially given that they it was Pistons and Knicks back-to-back, that people confuse the Knicks being tough with the Knicks being really good. They were obviously good, but let's not say that the, the 90s Knicks were some like, amazing all-time team that just couldn't get over the hump the the early 90s knicks were not the bad boy pistons so i i looked up a couple things because i think you, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about just how like mean and physical and nasty they were so from the 91 92 season right that's the second that's the second uh bulls title but they play each other in the second round there Through the 93 94 season, that's when the Knicks finally uh, get by the Bulls, albeit it's just Scotty's Bulls. So you look at those three years, you combine the regular season and playoffs. The New York York Knicks had 252 uh, technicals called in them, almost 100 more than any other team in the entire league. Uh, The gap between the Knicks and the second most Techs is larger than the gap between the team with the second most and the team with the 22nd most. So that's how much dirtier uh, those (laughs) Knicks teams were relative to everybody else. Same thing. You look at flagrant fouls. They had over uh, twice as many flagrant fouls as any other team in the entire league over that stretch. They had 56. Uh, Next up were the Heat with 28. And then if you look at just what they tried doing against the Bulls, uh, it's it's kind of even more ridiculous. uh In the hold on, I got it right here. In the in those three post seasons alone, if you just look against the Bulls, they had ten flagrant fouls. The rest of the league combined had two of them against wow. the Bulls. So like the Knicks were were literally just trying to turn. Everything against the Bulls is an absolute street fight. And look, like, yeah, you got to do what you got to do to try to make it competitive and to try to be tough. But, like, I don't know. I, I think people confuse the Knicks being physical and muddying the waters with the Knicks, like, legitimately pushing them to the point of we are your equal. We are the team that's ready to take this from you. They were only on the border of taking it from them because they tried turning it into to a street fight, and they thought they were Mike Tyson uh, instead of basketball players. Yeah. I I mean, the world kind of
1: saw it differently after Michael had left because there was no other team really ready to step up the minute Michael retires in terms of who should be the NBA champion. And heading into the 93-94 season, Vegas had the Knicks as the favorites to win the title. And then in the 94-95 season they were the best you know they had the best odds of any eastern conference team to win the title as well after just going to the finals and losing in game seven to the houston rockets do you think if they win one of those those titles or even beat the bulls one time uh in those in those three years that they lose to them that we would look at the knicks the same way with the same disdain that some people look at the bad boy pistons I really truly feel that the Knicks get away with with murder. You you gave the stats right there. They were nasty. they were dirty. and because they didn't win,
0: I don't think people put a spotlight on them. I just I think people just remember them wrong. I, I think people think of the Knicks as some like team that came oh so close and like, yeah, they like they they made it to a game seven against Houston when they get there. But even had they won, there's still this asterisk of, okay, they win in a year that Michael Jordan's retired. It's like, not that it doesn't count, but like it kind of doesn't count, right? And then the other year that they that they make it there is the weird lockout year. They're they're an eight-seed. They're not really that great of a team. And the other series I think that that is important to look at, and, and we're gonna talk uh, here in a little bit, just just about Scottie Pippen in general and his year without MJ. Uh, they almost lost to the Bulls in 94 when it was just Scotty. Like, they lose that series. I I, I don't know. I, I kind of think that the Knicks, uh, not only do they get a pass, I think they're kind of weirdly glorified in a way that I'm not quite sure that they really deserve as being this team that was oh so close. I don't know. Maybe that's my Bulls bias coming so- out. Sounds like it might be. Sounds like you're
1: out on the Knicks. I feel like (laughs) I feel I'm out of. I feel like we we're we're kind of balancing each other out because I'm giving them credit for being a a decent team, but I'm also looking at the fact that the way that they did it. I mean, people are giving them a pass for. You're just killing them. You're just just, so I think we're 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 balancing it out and and saying that we probably should meet somewhere in the middle. They they were a decent team that did it the wrong way.
0: I like this because like what? So we we think of like late 80s early 90s as this like it's like a rock fight in the NBA. And the Knicks personified that more than anyone else. They tried really leaning into that. It's kind of like how how today it's it's all about like shooting threes and pace and space right. and they're they're kind of it's and then people look at like the Houston Rockets with a level of disdain that's unmatched uh with anyone else. I I weirdly kind of think like the Houston Rockets today over the la- the last couple years are kind of like the new Knicks from the '90s in terms of they're just like taking the state of the league and trying to build a contender out of just like making a caricature uh, out of the way that the the entire league operates. Yeah, they tried. To, they tried to
1: follow the bad boy piston uh, kind of carbon copy it didn't work out for them. That's all That's all we can say about that. Let's get into that 93-94 season, because as we mentioned, uh, that's what they're going to be talking about in Episode 7 and 8 of The Last Dance. And when we left off in Episode 6, you kind of, I mean, if you know the Michael Jordan story, you kind of get the feeling that the next thing that they're going to talk about is the fact that he decided to leave the game of basketball after winning his third straight championship. I mean, there's, you, you can get into the conspiracy angles, you can get into whatever you want to get into, but in terms of basketball-wise, there's a case for him to retire in the sense that at that point, there was really nothing more for him to do. He was already crowned the greatest player to ever play the game at that point. He had won three straight, something that Magic and Larry didn't do. So that's that's kind of something that he wanted to check off the list. And there really wasn't another contender out there in the immediate future for him to kind of overcome. He had beaten uh, Clyde Drexler. He had beaten Charles Barkley. And there was really no next guy uh, that, that would have been there. Now, obviously, we know that in 94, 95, it ends up being Hakeem Olajuwon. And I wish we got that series. I mean, it would have been a great series between... Uh, Hakeem's Rockets and Jordan's Bulls. We never got it, but at the time, I don't think anyone was really claiming that Hakeem would have taken the step that he took uh, in in those two seasons. He was a great player, but I don't know if anybody was going out and saying that he was the best player in the league at that time, right? And especially in the land of the Bigs. So Jordan retires, and it's all on Scottie Pippen now. And Pippen becomes the man, but does it a different way than Michael? He doesn't. He doesn't go out and say, you know what? I'm going to take every shot. Uh, it's available for me that the way that Michael did it he kind of does it in, in a team format maybe and I and I, and I don't want to use a comparison but maybe more of a LeBron James style of of, uh, of leadership role where he's not re- screaming at guys on the court he's kind of being more you know he's cuddling them when they're when they're doing wrong things he's he's giving the ball up for a, for a better look he's not forcing it over double teams a different style and the Bulls only lose two, two uh two more games than they lost the season before. So they go into the playoffs kind of feeling good about themselves.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I look back at that Bulls that Bulls team, and it's it's a weird like you, you kind of do this. I, I mean, I mentioned that that series against the Knicks that they that they you know they almost win. It's a four point game going into the fourth quarter of Game Seven. If they win that game, they're playing a Pacers team that they won four or five from in the regular season. It's not that far-fetched to suggest that, like, the Bulls were—they—they they very easily could have made the finals without Michael Jordan. And there's a there's a spectacular what if of, like, what what if they would have somehow won a title without MJ? Like, I I don't know. I, I think there's the we we get lost in the you know they won six in a row with Jordan, and the only time that they lost was when he came back, and you know we're number forty-five, he's not quite ready yet. But I just. I, the margin the margins of kind of how we think about Scotty and the bulls and the 90s in general I think is a little bit closer to this crazy alternate ending uh than people maybe realize
1: how good was Scotty in 94 because he he finishes uh you know he finally gets out of the, the Jordan kind of shadows and he's the guy now he is the go-to player on the Chicago Bulls uh there's there's no doubt in anybody's mind. He's now kind of being able to solidify himself as one of the better players in the league, whereas guys are saying, you know, there was there was rumblings around the league at the time of, well, you know, Michael's the guy and he could he, he kind of float behind it and doesn't have to, to answer the tough questions and doesn't have to do all the, uh, the tough stuff uh, that a star player has to go through because Michael's there. Now Michael's no longer there. He's the man. And he goes on to have an incredible season uh, in, in terms of you know, MVP third in MVP voting behind Akeem and I think David Robinson at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, yeah. that's high praise for a guy who was second fiddle for a large part of his career. But how good was he on, on the grand scheme of things when you look at Scotty's uh, one season that he didn't play without Michael with the Bulls?
0: I still think he kind of doesn't necessarily get the credit he deserves for how good he was. I, we've kind of talked about this a little bit uh, elsewhere. I think that Scotty perhaps maybe more than any other player uh, it, you know with the exception of maybe like Pistons era Dennis Rodman but even then I think Scotty's a guy that had he played in an era like today where there's just a wealth of information and there's player tracking and there's on-off court and there's efficiency and we know how guys make other guys better we know guys stats when they're guarded by certain players I feel like Scotty Pippen maybe more than anyone else is kind of somebody that would have would have gotten a lot more credit uh, than he did in the moment, and that's saying something considering that you know not even ten years into his career, uh, you know he's named one of the fifty greatest players in NBA history uh, when the NBA does its does its silver anniversary team. So it's not like Scotty didn't get that credit, but I think we talk about Scotty Pippen as like a oh, he's like a top. 40 guy top 30 guy maybe whereas i I feel like if 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 he came if he played in an era in which we have these same type of ways of measuring guys like i wonder if we're talking about scotty is like a top 15 guy sort of like how like both kobe and Shaq are kind of in that realm i i kind of wonder if that's a conversation that we should be having about scotty pippen that we just don't have I,
1: I was i and I'm, I'm gonna kind of go the other way here I was with you up until I saw and was reminded of some events that <laughs> happened in Scotty's career uh in episode seven of the last dance and And there's no real spoilers here. I'm not going to spoil anything because in 94, uh, even if you know anything about the Bulls during that run, you know that in 94, a a very pivotal moment happened in Scottie Pippen's career uh, and one that, quite frankly, he should look back on and and be ashamed of. In 1994, in the playoffs, they're down 2-0 to the New York Knicks. They head home for Game 3, huge game. Scottie's having a great game as, as the leader that he should. Uh, and the Knicks tie the game up with, I think it was less than two seconds left on the clock. And Phil Jackson calls timeout, Bulls ball. They have an opportunity to win the game and get back in the series to, to bring it back to a 2 1 series. They lose that. Let's face it, it's going to be a 3 0. They're a 3 0 lead uh, for the Knicks. And, and the series is essentially over. It's, it's going to be a sweep. Scottie Pippen. Heads to the huddle, assuming that the play will be drawn up for him. Phil Jackson's uh, inbound play is going to be drawn up for him. But Phil pivots and goes to Tony Kukoc with, uh, with the opportunity to win the game. And when Scotty heard that play, he sat on the bench and refused to enter the game. <laughs> refused to enter the game.
0: The uh, Bulls go on just... to
1: play without him. They win game three. Uh, It's 2-1 now, the series. Obviously, they end up losing the series in the long run. But that is a huge black mark on Scottie Pippen's career. I think that moment there kind of changes, and it should, in a lot of people's minds, the legacy of Scottie Pippen. And and it kind of undoes what he did in in 94 as the quote-unquote man. You cannot, as the quote-unquote man, sit there and look your teammates in the face and quit on them in the middle of a playoff game. That is embarrassing. And Scotty should be ashamed of himself for doing that as the guy. There's a reason why people look at Scotty now and say that he was Robin and he was never Batman. It's moments like that. He had the opportunity to step up and be the guy and he chose to be selfish and sit on the bench after having a full season where he was promoting team play. You cannot do that if you're Scottie Pippen, and he should be ashamed of himself. And
0: anyone that thinks otherwise, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves too. Do you need to come up for air? Were you, were you planning on stopping at any point there? I was really upset when I saw that. You done? I, well, relived it. I, I, you know, it, you know what, tough. though? I Look, I yeah, it's not a good look. It's a bad look, okay? But I, one of the things that I it cannot be lost, and I think he had every right to be pissed off okay uh tony kukoc at that point in the game was one of five from the floor and he had played 13 minutes if you're scotty pippen and you're down 2-0 and you were a, a first team all-nba guy you were the all-star game mvp this was your team you had just gone through all these wars as as being the second banana uh to to mj i kind of i kind of feel like he had a he had a reason to be pissed off now that doesn't mean you pout and you don't, you know, you refuse to go in the game. Earlier in that season, they ran the exact same play, and Scottie Pippen actually assisted Tony Kukoc, who made it against the Pacers. So kind of Phil Jackson going back to the playing board a little bit. That the 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 one play that it kind of it kind of reminds well, the two plays uh, that it kind of reminds me of. It kind of reminds me a little bit of um, when Greg Popovich Uh, leaves Tim Duncan off the floor for the defining possession of game six of the 2013 (laughs) finals. They don't get the rebound. Bosch kicks it out. Ray Allen hits it. And you look back and you're like, we're like, why, why the hell did Greg Popovich not have Tim Duncan on the floor? If Tony Kukoc misses that shot, Phil Jackson is answering questions about why didn't I call that for Scottie Pippen at that point in the game? I think he had 25 points was 10, 10 of 20 from the field. Like, he was having a great game, and, and and so I think you know Tony making that makes us look back at that one a little bit differently. The other one I think about is uh, when LeBron, I think it's 2015, Game Four against the Bulls. They're down two one. Ty Lue calls a play for somebody else, and LeBron looks at him and is like, "No, what are you talking about? It's, I'm I'm taking the shot." He of course takes it. He makes it. They go on to win the series, reach the finals. Now. LeBron and Scottie Pippen are not the same. Phil Jackson and Ty Lue are not the same. So maybe he wasn't going to pull a LeBron and do that. But I, I kind of think, Scottie, uh, people don't necessarily take the whole picture when considering that play. People only point out to the fact that he refused to go in the game and they kill him for it, as you are right now, when there's a lot, there's a lot more complexity there, right? There has to be. I
1: have no problem with him being upset for not getting the ball in that moment. As the guy, I feel like you should be upset. He should be upset of not getting the ball in that moment. But to quit on your team and refuse to enter the game is a different story and another level of selfishness that I, I didn't think Scotty had in him until – reliving these moments in documentary and and a, a, not a lot of people are going to say this about Scotty. I think he's exactly where he is in NBA history for his on, on his own doing I mean he's 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 a guy that I mean has cried a lot of times in his career when he doesn't get his own way halfway through the 92 early into the 92 season after they won the first championship he had signed the long deal and wanted to renegotiate Almost doesn't turn up to training camp because he wants the new deal. He eventually gets, you know, talked into by his agent and everything else to show up to training camp. And And then signs another deal that at the time the owner told him would be a bad deal, but he decided to sign it anyway. And he got his way and everything's all right up until the last stand season when he realized the contract that he signed way back when, when he was being advised not to sign it and signs it anyway wasn't as good as he thought it would have been five years down the line. And now he's crying again, decides to skip skip surgery in the summer. Selfishness, once again, shows up (laughs) in Scottie (laughs) Pippen and sits out for the first half of the season because he didn't want to, quote, mess up his summer. Get this guy. I mean, this guy is, there's a reason why certain guys... Are, 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 are B uh, players to an A talent like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen? Rightfully so, will always be a Robin. He was never a Batman because he just did not have the ability to get out of his own way in moments where he could
0: have shown true leadership. I don't I don't disagree with that. I do think that it's a little bit ridiculous after the fact that 30 years later Jerry Reinsdorf is going to have the gall to say with a straight face. That he advised scotty pippen not to t- to sign that there's not an owner or front office guy in the world that would have said no no, no don't you know no you shouldn't sign this seven seven year 18 million dollar deal like come on jerry reinsdorf should not have said that there's there's no way i believe that uh but i do i do agree with you on on the point about uh you know scotty kind of has had some opportunities throughout the years to kind of show that leadership inkling and kind of you know, a couple times showed kind of where he's coming from there so i don't disagree with you there yeah. hey one I'm quick piece of to trivia one, with the blazers one, one one quick piece of trivia just to tie a bow on that uh coach play did you know the only player in the entire league in the 93 94 season to hit multiple game-winning shots at the buzzer one mr tony kukoc the only one in the entire yeah. league
1: As a rookie, we'll find out a lot about Tony Kukoc in uh, Episode 7 and 8, his first season with the Bulls. Michael was not there, uh, and he kind of filled in a little bit of the void that, you know, well, not as much as the void. No one's going to fill in Michael's shoes, but he kind of helped out uh, Scotty a little bit uh, in those seasons, and also Steve Kerr's now on the team, Uh, so they they have pieces to the puzzle, and as we said, a, a team that, you know, finished with just two more losses than they had the year before they win a championship uh they were behind the atlanta hawks in the division you know i love division so i gotta bring that up and this is an atlanta <laughs> hawks team that's pretty good uh you know mookie blaylock stacy augman uh, craig Elo's a little bit you know towards back end of his career dominic wilkins is still there uh kevin willis is still there so well, they have a decent team uh and, and you know they were
0: able to to kind of win that division that year What? Well, one of the funny things about the Hawks is they trade Dominique halfway through the year, right? They get Danny Batty back, and I was looking at it. They they were thirty six and sixteen when they traded Dominique. They go twenty and nine without him. They had the exact same win percentage before and after the Dominique trade. End up getting the one seed in the East. Uh, they they would get upset uh, in the playoffs. Would not even reach the conference finals. That's just a, like a weird Hawks team that like. You never hear anybody talk about like, hey, remember, remember the one seed Hawks with Danny Manning and Mookie Blaylock and Kevin Willis? (laughs) Like that—that just (laughs) I I don't think one time I don't think I've spent one second of my life uh, considering that Uh, up till this This very second just now.
1: It feels on brand for the Hawks because the next time they were uh, the one seed in most recent history without Horford and all those guys, no one's going to remember those that team. Like the team that had four All Stars one year, no one's really going to remember that team because no one felt like they were a threat to ever make the NBA Finals. And then they eventually get bounced by LeBron in, in a uh, wasn't it? A, was it a sweep or a gentleman sweep? I Sweet. think it was a sweep. Nah, no, it's a sweep. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that, I guess you know, if you're an Atlanta fan, sorry to bring that up, but it doesn't look good for you when you guys have the first seed um episode seven and eight will be released worldwide early monday morning in the united states uh of course it's on espn and uh you know tony kukoc shows up big time there's going to be a lot of scott burrell out there for for those of you who don't know scott burrell scott burrell is going to be uh featured heavily in uh episode seven and eight they talk about the first round uh in the 98 playoffs of course uh, against John Calipari's uh, New Jersey Nets, by the way, his little short stint in the NBA. What are you most looking forward to? Because you know you're, you know they're going to get into the retirement stuff, obviously the baseball stuff as well. What are you most
0: looking forward to in Episode 7 and 8? I To me so far, the, the best part of this series was the unpacking of kind of Jordan's imperfections with whether it's the stuff with the politics or staying silent or not wanting to be a role model what have you? If if the Scott Burrell stuff is going in the direction that I think it is, I have not seen it. But if it goes into how like MJ rode all his teammates really hard, I would love to get uh, some great stories. I, there's the one bit of, of him punching Steve Kerr in practice. No idea if that'll be in there, but I I would love to see more of sort of the the darker character development stuff of Jordan because I think that's the that's the part that. Uh, rings a little bit differently when you hear it from the horse's mouth versus kind of reading all these different third person accounts uh, that we that we all have throughout the year. So I think everyone understands how awesome Michael Jordan was. I'm interested, really interested in the kind of the human element and diving into how much of a grind uh, that that third season really was and, and how he just rode teammates all the time. The greatest characters in
1: life always make you feel something. If you're sitting on the fence about someone, he's he's probably not uh, not you know pushing the needle either way. You will watch episode seven and eight, and you will not sit on the fence about the way you feel about Michael Jordan. There's going to be people that come out of this weekend thinking that he is still one of the greatest players of all time. There's going to be people that thinking the other way that he's you know a great basketball player but a horrible human being. I will leave you with that there. This episode of NBA Sound System Live will be archived in the podcast feed. If you missed any part of it, you can go back and listen to it in its complete form. For Micah Adams, I am Carlin Gay. We will see you next week for another breakdown of episodes 7 and 8 and a preview of episode 9 and 10.